Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, technical difficulties aside... How's it going this week? It's going okay this week. Uh, it, it's been a it's it's been a week, I guess. Is the best way to mm-hmm. kind of phrase it. Um, yep. Been, there's been a lot going on, especially just today as we record on Friday. Just just a lot. Just. Do you think we're gonna break the world again by recording like like a month ago when <sighs> yes. everything went down? Yeah. Yeah. No, wow. we're gonna get done with this three hour podcast that we have, <laughs> and. Everyone will have resigned. That suicide pact that Tillerson, Munchen, and Mattis have will have gone into mm-hmm. effect. And the in- we'll be in a designated survivor situation, Kate, without Key for Sutherland. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> um, we, we, we just, listeners, because when that, who was the last person to resign? Was it um, Bannon? Who was it that resigned while we were recording? Uh, Yeah, I think it was Bannon, I think. I know. Yeah. The the last guy to resign from the Trump regime, <laughs> I literally just said Trump regime. You did. Um, yeah. <laughs> from the Trump administration, um, like broke, like resigned, and there were like three other huge stories that broke while we were recording. So we got them recording, and we had broken the United States. Unfortunately, the United States has broken enough uh, without us uh, to pivot from that. Uh, we got news today because New York Comic Con is going strong. Um, hope hopefully people are having a fabulous time. News broke, I want to talk about this, that Marvel is partnering with Northrop Grumman. And if you don't know who that is, they're the fifth largest arms manufacturers in the world. And they're going to do a, like, among other things, they're going to do a crossover superhero team-up with the Avengers. And I kid you not, a team called Northrop Grumman Elite Nexus, which is very clearly designed to appeal to children and is a superhero team focusing on tech named after a gun company. And that's a thing that's happening for realsies. And, and Marvel felt okay announcing it now, right now. Like, like Netflix pulled their Punisher panel out of respect to, you know, the, the, the victims and the survivors of, of the Vegas shooting, because they thought maybe now it's not the great time to have a panel celebrating a white guy who takes, you know, goes around with lots rifles and, lots and, of guns. and just kills people. Um, and Marvel's like, oh, no, don't worry about it, guys. They're, nobody's going to care. And yet we all care because it's just kind of creepy and gross, but it's also just part and parcel of like Ike Perlmutter, who is the CEO of Marvel, is just, he's not the best guy, Kate. He, he's generally kind of unpleasant. His politics go pretty far to the right. And this is sort of part and parcel of what you would expect from him or what I would have expected from him as soon as like my friend Danielle sent me the link. I just went, oh, well, that's definitely a Perlmutter move. Gross, you. This is really disgusting, and it's like it's Joe Camel. Only what if instead of making cigarettes cool, we make guns cool? So you remember how in the Avengers, when Tony Stark in 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 the the comics and in the movies, when he was like, "Oh, me making guns isn't helping. I'm we're gonna stop making any weapons at all." 
Apparently, that's not something we're remembering now. And Cap is totally cool with teaming up with arms manufacturers. To be fair, Cap is a Nazi. So. Well, there is that. There is that. Um, in, in happier, happier uh, pop culture and TV-related news, we are getting a Bob's Burgers movie in 2020. That's very exciting. I, I guess. I, I mean, it's cool, I guess. But I'm also just sort of like, I didn't really need one, anyone, guys. No, but this just reassures me that we will still have Bob's Burgers in 2020. Because every year I'm like a little nervous about it getting picked up because it does not get the most promotion or love from Fox. That's true. They did their premiere and then they're off for like three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Sounds about right. Um, there also was the renewal of the bold type over at Freeform for two more 10 episode seasons. However, the creator is not going to be the showrunner anymore. So I'm a little leery about that. So good news bad news yeah i mean two seasons pick up and but the person coming in to run bold type is the same woman who was running uh sweet vicious so <laughs> it's sort good. of a yeah but 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 the other thing's good but i want i i liked it i liked what was happening before we had to change things due to creative differences um which makes me nervous yeah. about what those creative differences were exactly <laughs> yeah yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll see. But at least it's someone who we know can run a good show. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Uh we heard from Carl this week, uh, as well as several other listeners, but Carl specifically wanted to ask us about Peak TV and and just taking a break from TV. He said, uh PTV has broken me. Uh he's tried sh- several shows and none are taking. Do you ever do uh cold turkey uh do you ever go cold turkey on TV for a period to cleanse? And Carl, you listen to this podcast. I'm on my seventh year of hosting a weekly TV podcast. The closest I've gotten to, gone to being able to go cold turkey and maintain my podcast is the, the week I was in Peru with no internet that we like pre-recorded. So no, I have not been able to do that for a long time. It seems like it would be wonderful, like a very like, it, that would be that would be lovely. I could really use that, but I couldn't then maintain. A podcast, so that's why I have not done that. Noel, what about you? Uh, I haven't done one since I did one in two thousand, from basically two thousand three to two thousand four, um, mm. academic year. Um, that was my first year in college, and while we had cable in the dorms and everything, I was kind of too busy to watch television. So basically, that year of television is just a big blind spot for me. Oh um, four and oh five is summerly sort of blankish. And that was like a year a bunch of like really big stuff had like dropped. So like Desperate Housewives, Lost, House, all that stuff sort of came out around that time. And I just missed all of it until I got home that summer. <laughs> Back when broadcast networks used to air reruns, by the way, still yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, I can just catch up on TV this way. Um, oh, those were the days, kids. Let me tell <laughs> you about the days of summer reruns. <laughs> Um, so no, that was the last time I really went on, like, a big cleanse. Um, but yeah, I think that the only thing I can count even a little bit as a cleanse is I kind of don't watch television during the weekends anymore just because I've been really busy on the weekends recently. So that's been a thing, but I don't really... unplug. Yeah, I don't really feel like that totally counts, but uh, yeah, I basically haven't been on a cleanse in, like, 13 years. Yeah. And when you talk about college yeah that was this, this combination of the first few years uh hardly watched like we watched i watched angel i watched lost and a handful of other things but not much um but then then over the summers 
uh, when I was, if I was down on campus and nobody else was around, I watched a lot of TV. Mm-hmm. So many hours of Good Eats, as you well know. We talked about this previously. Yeah, Food Network was a big thing with the woman I was dating in college. So we would watch Good Eats. Uh, mm-hmm. We would do Iron Chef, both Iron mm-hmm. Chef and Iron Chef America. Um, yeah. I preferred the original flavor just because it was because a great deal more fun. Much better. Yeah, yes. it's much better. Um, but yeah, so Food Network was like the only thing I watched in any way, shape or form while I was in college for the first <laughs> two years. Yeah, um, but but no, so I have not I have not gone on a cleanse in quite a while. Neither has Noel, but we got several responses on Twitter. People saying that they had recently and that it was great. And I don't doubt them. No, I I I. I'm sure it would be wonderful. It would probably be very good to just completely unplug for a while. Maybe we should just let Dennis and Emily take over for a couple of weeks while we go on vacation. Just just go, you yeah. know, off and be like, what is this television of which you speak? I don't even own a television, guys. Oh my, oh, we can't become those people ever. I only no. watch stuff on my PBS app. Oh. oh, very fancy. So Carl, if you do go on a cleanse, let us know. We want to know. Uh, but also and, keep listening uh, to the podcast. <laughs> well, yes, obviously keep listening. Uh, but but let us know. Yeah, and that's where you're just keep, wa- especially if you keep watching these shows, trying new things and just things that normally wouldn't bother you do and shows or, or uh, characters or performances you would normally connect with you think aren't, then maybe it's time to take a break. I think that's a yeah. good call. Um, this week at the end of the show, I'm talking with friend of the show, Zach Handlin, who's of course a writer and also a contributor over at the AV Club. We're talking about Rick and Morty season three. Uh, so glad that he was able to come on. Uh, obviously, Zach reviews Rick and Morty over at AV Club. Um, but with the season ending, I wanted to get a chance to talk about more. And Noel, it's not a Noel show. So nope, uh, I had to find someone else to come <laughs> talk to me, talk with me about it. Um, so anyways, that was a wonderful conversation that's coming at the end of the show. But we need to get into week two of Network Premiere Week because there's, oh, there's so many shows. So many comedies, Kate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of them. Okay. Uh, I was just like just had to pause there for a second and just take in the weight of all the comedies. Uh, we're going to listen to a little music from Blackish and come back with her week in comedy right after this. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. We raise their children, then raise their buildings, and they make billions. I'm catching feelings. Really? What else do we feel? Wall Street, the White House and University, UVA, we built that, Chapel Hill, we built that, Pyramid, oh, sorry our Hebrew brothers get credit for that, Miles, let's turn up and get it poppin', settle down, we still ain't got nothing, we built this. That was one of the numbers featured in this week's premiere of Blackish, Juneteenth. Uh, this week in comedy, we're going to talk about Bob's Burgers, Brunch Squatch. That was their season eight premiere. Curb Your Enthusiasm came back for season nine. Foisted. I'm sorry. Foisted! <laughs> Exclamation point. Um, then we had Ghosted with its premiere pilot. The Blackish premiere for season five, Juneteenth. Fresh Off the Boat came back for season four. B is for Best Friend. Then we had the season or series premiere, I should say, of Kevin Probably Saves the World. Um, and the mayor, both of which are you know, it's called pilot. Then we're going to also talk a little bit about DuckTales. The 
Eagle Birthday Massacre. It seems like too up. Yep. Eagle Birthday Massacre. I don't know. I have to I think about how I want to do these exclamation points. Null, since I know they're in my future. Um, and we'll round it out with The Good Place and Team Cockroach. Uh, but first up is Brunch Squatch. And yes, we could talk about brunch and the this being a Bob's Burgers brunch episode. But much more importantly, this is the Bob's Burgers fan art episode. And I'm curious how you felt about it. Was it successful for you as an episode? or Or was it mostly notable for the concept i think it worked on both levels i really enjoyed the conceit of doing a sort of different art style for every scene um format that they went with this but i also just like the story and like how it's how it came to a head of like naturally the belchers don't know how brunch works <laughs> so they're just pouring these bottomless mimosas to for these people and not going you need to order food <laughs> and so i i really enjoyed how that played out i could have done without like um the fish odors um hide and seek aspect to it but they needed something for the kids to do mm-hmm. so that's where it kind of boiled down to but no i really enjoyed this but i think that the reason it stood out at least in my brain was that they grabbed 62 um submissions from uh people who had some animation experience to animate this episode i i just thought it was a lot of fun i thought it was really interesting to see different interpretations of these characters how they move and how they move and shift depending on the art style and yeah it was it was just a really delightful little episode i thought how did you feel about it yeah i liked the episode um and i liked the concept it was neat but i I gotta be honest, I would have preferred it just to have the, the regular sure. animation. I was like, I would have liked this episode more if I wasn't constantly being distracted by the art changing. Mm-hmm. I could have appreciated the pacing and the writing of it more. Um, so, like, sort of as its own thing, as a as like a, hey, this is a cool thing they did for their fans. Awesome. Great. Yeah. And it was really interesting to see these different interpretations of the characters. But for me, it was also very distracting to a plot that I, of course, as someone who very much appreciates a brunch... Like, this was very wheelhouse for me. Um, yeah. I didn't really care about the fish order thing either, but it's always fun to watch Louis scheme, so that worked for me. Uh, I, so it, I just, was sort of torn with it, where as I was watching, I was enjoying the episode, um, but I was also very actively aware as I was watching it, oh, that's neat. Oh, I'm looking at how this is shaped. Oh, oh what, what, what were those words they were saying? Oh, I should probably <laughs> have heard them. Uh, so that's, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's on the... Uh, who am I kidding? That's absolutely on me. But uh, yeah, I, I still... Like, I'm not not going to ding them for it, but I found myself wanting to have both things, wanting right. to have my cake and eat it. And that's not how this episode could have worked. Uh, did you have a favorite style? Uh, I did appreciate, just as like an aside, that the one bit of stop motion was basically just very, very quick because no one has time to do a whole scene. <laughs> that was also my pick. I was like, oh, stop motion! Oh, I get why it's so short, but I don't care. I'm so glad they included it. I always love right. a stop motion gag. <laughs> yeah, no, I enjoyed that as well. Um, I don't know that anything else in particular stood out. Um, I didn't also, like, I was just watching it while I was working, so I wasn't, like, taking notes about anything that particularly, like, really kind of wowed me. I think I just enjoyed the flow of it, and even to the point where I sort of felt like it was really appropriate to do this in a brunch episode, 
as just sort of like a weird buffet of styles, sort of like mm-hmm. a brunch buffet of styles of like, you don't get to pick and choose. It just comes at you. But <laughs> there's just a little bit of something for everyone. So if you don't like this particular dish, you get another one in like 20 seconds. And I, I just really liked how they, for me, it merged really nicely. Nice. Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad that you appreciated yeah. it and had, had fun with it. And uh, I wish I'd had more fun, but I certainly did enjoy the episode. Yeah. Um, that's kind of how I feel about Curb Your Enthusiasm as well. We had the season nine. Pre- I've, I've never watched the show before. This was my first episode of it. Okay. And it was fine. It was called Foisted. There was some fun stuff in it. Um, but I very much felt the distance between myself and the show. The fact that this was a, a long-awaited return and that I had no connection to the characters or the show um, and that people who were fans of the show probably liked this episode a lot more than I did. What I kept seeing was the was the actors laughing in, in the middle of a scene um, that maintained for most of the run of the episode. Certainly the first half of the episode. For almost every exchange, you can just see them laughing when their character shouldn't be um and i don't know if that is something that's typical to the show or just them getting back into the swing of things um i i know the way that they film is atypical where they don't have they have like very detailed outlines but they don't have direct scripts so they can't always into they won't anticipate necessarily what the other person's gonna say uh which leads to some really uh really organic dialogue and stuff which works really well but for me i just kept getting distracted by like the half half breaking that was happening um on for several of the performers uh did you like note that at all or was that just you know a never seen the show perspective it might have been a never seen the show before perspective but it's been so long since i've watched any of curb your enthusiasm that i really can't recall if that was a issue that i had when i was watching it because i've seen like a, a chunk of the show I've seen, like, the post-Katrina um, season where uh, J.B. Smoove uh, joined the cast. I've seen the Seinfeld season, both of those, like, in their entirety. And then just a random smattering of episodes here and there. But I haven't, like, I don't even think i watched season eight. Um, so I can't, I can't speak to that. Uh, it, but it feels like that is something that just would happen fairly regularly. And that it's just sort of part of the show, especially by like a season nine point. Like it's mm-hmm. just something that they're going to have to deal with. Um, I guess my question, and I mean, I liked the episode fine. Like it, I didn't, it felt very curb in terms of, oh, well, here's a, here's a, here's, a, here's a business industrial com, the concept of foisting unwanted like assistance onto other people and how this plays out plus a couple of other like little things um and so it all felt very curb to me um from like my fuzzy recollections but it just nothing was like really kind of tickled me in any way shape or form so my question then is someone who hasn't watched this are you gonna like come back for another one are you are you gonna like cut you're gonna cut and run I'm not running, but uh, it certainly won't be high on my, like, list of the order that I watch stuff. So if I get to it, great. But if not, it's not going to be a big priority for me. I really enjoyed uh, Nassim Pedrad, actually. And she was one of the ones who very actively didn't break um, at any point. Uh, And and that certainly, I think, helped. But I also just, like, the I I really appreciated the particular flavor of her uh, animosity towards Larry David was was highly entertaining. Um, yeah, and and JB Smooth is always 
is always terrific. I don't see enough things that he's in, so I that's certainly a reason to come back. Uh, the, the whole cast is terrific. I, I've enjoyed them in pretty much everything I've seen them in. Um, but those were the two that stood out for me in this episode. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I, I was like, okay, this is basically exactly what I thought it was. Yeah. Like waiting for it to click into more. But um, the if anything... I don't feel like I need to watch season nine, but I still feel bad for not having seen the Seinfeld season, which everyone says is amazing. So like, it is, that's, it is pretty good. Like that's sort of where I'm at with Curb. Where like I get it, I, I I liked the episode enough, not enough to prioritize it, but not enough to delete it from the season pass. So we'll see if 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 I find time for it. Um, one that I probably won't find time for for a while is Ghosted, uh, which we had talked about this previously in our preview, but now we've seen the pilot. Um, this was I think fine this premiere and I enjoyed this like how heavily it embraced 80s like sound and style and stuff um but it again there was nowhere near enough there there for me with with this and the, liking the cast is not enough of a reason for me to 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 commit to a show so this is one I think for me with ghosted I'm going to let it do four or five episodes and then either jump in with that fifth episode or, or marathon and catch up. Cause I feel like once it catches, like finds its feet and, and gets more, di- more of its dynamics down between the characters, I think there might be something here that I really enjoy. But for me, the, the, for this first episode, I just kept wanting the potential that I know is there with this cast to, to lead to more. How did you feel about this one? Right, no, I, I agree, and I I think I may have even liked this a little bit less than you did. As things just seem to keep, things just seem to happen, mm-hmm. as opposed to following like an eternal logic or, or a character motivated reason for any of this to be happening. Beyond, well, we can get you back on the police force, we can get you back into your university job, except we can't. And I did is, enjoy. Oh yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> Yeah, no, that didn't happen. And so, like, I can appreciate that as, like, a joke, but, I mean, we haven't spent any time with these people to motivate that to motivate us, like, being invested in them getting these things back. Yeah. So I just sort of went, okay, so we're just going to kind of run around in empty warehouses and be spooky. And, <laughs> yeah, as charming as uh, Craig Robinson and Adam Scott can be, it's not enough to, like, propel this very sort of limp pilot for me very far. Yeah. So uh, let me know if it gets better around episode 5, Kate. <laughs> I and, will. And, yeah, because otherwise, like, I, I I was excited about, like, this cast and everything, but I, after seeing this pilot, I'm just like, I'm going to maybe stand over here for a little while, take my head off, and just go someplace else. Yeah. Well, it's just the whole Bureau Underground, this world of um, paranormal uh, detecting and uh, and agency work loosely affiliated theoretically with the government. Like, it's way too thinly sketched out yeah. for a show like this. Like, this is the kind of show where you need to, you don't need to have answers for your what happened to the girlfriend. Or, you don't need to have answers to that, but the the place that it's set, the building needs to have clear rules. There needs to be a sense of... Uh, structure to the team and it seems like it feels like there's nobody who works there so how are they functioning (laughs) so like a massive like it's a massive operation we're led to believe based on the dialogue and a couple of issues but then we it just doesn't feel authentic so that is certainly a, a red flag and i will let you know if it gets better but but i'm not super hopeful i guess so far that's fair 
We'll see. We'll see. Um, an episode that I really enjoyed was the return of Blackish, Juneteenth. Um, and I put in the notes here, did they read my brain for this episode? Because seriously, I bleep Columbus Day. I just, I, I really don't understand why that's still a holiday. And I saw yet another city this week changed it from Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day. Uh, so I'm enjoying that as that is happening around the country. But I've been asking, why do we celebrate Christopher Columbus for like my entire adult life? Um, so so I particularly was enjoying that, that that's where we start the episode. And then it bridges over into this whole other thing. How successful was this as a like it starts off very comedic and then becomes very sincere and, and uh, trying to really examine uh, some some issues around uh, Juneteenth, around what we celebrate in this country, and why. Um, how successful was this for you? It had one of our favorite segments, the animated segments. Right, so it had an animated segment uh, from The Roots, which was uh, quite lovely. Um, yeah, no, I think this episode worked pretty well. Um, structurally, I sort of like had like issues with it in that I just sort of needed it to be like longer to like mm-hmm. keep things a little moving, just because it makes all it makes the entire family like very backseat for our first episode back especially after we just had a baby and so doing this like right off the top seems a little weird though i understand actually from just a general like narrative momentum reason why they would do this now as opposed to doing it like at the end or somewhere like episode three why would you do this as a third episode sort of thing uh so it's sort of a but and and sort of situation with like the episodes like placement but i i still think that the episode's really successful insofar especially as it's not so much an episode about necessarily educating people about like the concept of juneteenth and why some people celebrate it but about why we should be celebrating it in the first place to your point about why we celebrate certain things that we don't celebrate and also just this idea that well, we celebrate Columbus Day. Why don't we celebrate this very black-oriented holiday in a, as a national thing? And mm-hmm. I, and Dre's varying degrees of comfort and discomfort with his with him expressing his blackness is really central to the episode, and I think is the core thing to take away from this. Much more so than this idea of a discourse around what we celebrate is much more about. Well, if we just start being more open about it, then that opens up a dialogue in and of itself. And I think that's a really significant point for the episode to make. And I think that's ultimately what the thrust of the episode is. Um, How did that sort of struggle play for you regarding Dre's desire to do this, even though he's never cared about it before now? (laughs) Well, I thought it just ties back really strongly with the, like, even just the pilot of the show and the what was in theory the central thrust of it of this idea of um a father and mother as well but you know, very it's very dre centric in the the beginning of the show realizing that he has divorced his children from uh black culture and how he grew up and um in trying to shelter the, them from the the negative aspects of how he grew up he's also robbed them of the positive aspects of how he grew up and um and the, so, so I, th- I thought i tied in very appropriately with that um this really reminded me structurally of the other like um 
episodes in the style of that they have done. Yeah. So this this would have fit really well if they had had the time or been able to do it last year as like the second to last ep- the way they've done the second to last episode in the yeah. previous seasons or the last episode in the previous seasons. Um and the decision to to do the animation sequence but also then to do like these cuts to like a stage play with very different shooting style and um with like the with the choirs and everything it was really interesting and stark and uh i'm glad that this, i mean i for me the, as i'm watching this I'm like why is this the first episode oh because it would have taken longer to shoot they needed the whole cast to be there like there are very lot it was like okay logistically that's why this is the first episode of the season it's funny um, that you say that because uh bearers gave an interview they shot this in the same amount of time that they shot a regular episode yeah but so I would imagine was, the, like, if you're if you're planning out your season though, like it's, yeah. it, I don't know, I haven't read that in, that interview, but it seems to me like that's this is the kind of one that might end up taking longer. Yeah. So you might want to like buffer like like any of the very spot like any of the musical episodes or the, the different other ones that you see on TV. Like where if you're going to run over on an episode, it's more likely to be this one. Right. Absolutely. No. It was just he was. He but yeah, that's he impressive. Was, yeah, he was working on the music for like the entire summer. Yeah. Um. But then they just like they shot it in the same amount of time that they shot a regular episode, which made doing this really tight. But luckily, they have just a crackerjack cast of yeah. folks who can do this and get it right really quickly. Yeah. There's enough. There's a deep enough bench, and the kids are now the the younger actors are four or five seasons five seasons in, so they're yeah. they're seasoned enough that they can handle that as well. So yeah, it was a it was a very. Uh, a very interesting and memorable episode and certainly very worthy conversations to have for the characters and also as viewers too. The blackish, it seems to me, and I just talking out my butt here, but it seems that they're very aware of how white a lot of their audience is. And that seems like that shapes some of their decisions of what stories are going to tell, going to tell. I like probably the funniest part of the episode for me was junior finding out what Juneteenth, is like celebrates and like wait wait whoa, whoa we haven't been celebrating this you're terrible you're a terrible father uh which it just i yeah it was it was a it was a really uh it was it was a really notable episode which they have done very actively sought out topics that they know will be um worthy discussions to have centered around race centered around like these characters where they can have different perspectives from the characters and so to see one where they're like basically mm, no we don't have different perspectives here the whole family's together in this one now let's explore you know how they feel about that uh i, I thought was certainly a strong episode to come back with yeah yeah absolutely um we have also fresh off the boat this week coming back b is for best friend this uh for me was all about the wheel, wheel of fortune and other things happened in the episode but i don't really care because for me this one was all about wheel of fortune and jessica crushing it <laughs> no this, this was a per this was an uh, for me this was a perfectly like fine episode to come back to even if like there were elements where i was just like i was waiting for like a bigger payoff like you set up a bunch of Babysitter's Club books, yeah. and you give me nothing. Um, <laughs> and I'm very disappointed with that. But then that makes room for, like, Nicole to come out to Eddie in a really kind of surprise sort of moment that the show does a really nice job of handling, I think. Um, apart from Eddie being, well, a teenage boy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, but I appreciate but, how they have him handle it, because yeah, that right. that's so appropriate. As I watch this, I'm like, oh, Eddie... You bungled this was like, but he's a teenage boy. If he was like Mr. Well-adjusted knows the right thing to say, like it would not feel 
right either. And of course, of course, he's immediately making it all about him. Yeah. And so like, so his reaction is not, at least my read of his reaction is not anything about, about Nicole or judgment of her, but it's yeah. like, but I thought that you liked me. Oh man, only my girlfriend likes me. Oh, but she likes girls. I have so many questions. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it, it was very appropriate. And again, just, it's hard it, to just still not be so happy and celebratory towards any representation of queer people. Um, like I, I'm trying to think again, are there any other queer characters of this level on ABC right now? You mean aside from modern family? Um, yes. Yeah, so aside from modern family, but I, I, I guess people still watch that. I, a lot of people, people do still millions and millions family. of people watch it. Yeah. I just don't, but aside from modern family where it's like written into the description of the show. Right. Um, in their comedies, no, I don't think so. Especially well with Real O'Neill's got cancelled, right? Right, yeah, Real O'Neill's is off, so yeah. Yeah, no one on the middle either really... F- well, I, no, that's not true. There is um, there is one gay character in the middle who is just amazing and is Stu's best friend, and he's the best. Um, he's so the best. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, it's the middle and then the fresh off the boat now. Yeah. So anyways, I, I just I thought it was well handled. I thought it was uh an interesting uh an interesting development for the character and thing to have her have been dealing with for a while and now talking to Eddie about and it gives them more more opportunities and things to discuss and and to play with with those characters moving forward and and that's I mean that's always going to be more interesting than what a different sitcom would have done or even this sitcom maybe a few years ago would have done which is just build in especially with eddie staying with nicole love triangle stuff with with yeah. him and allison so that's this is much more interesting it is and it it goes back to even like what uh you mentioned at the top with being much more interesting and having just kind of standard sort of sitcom fun of going like we're gonna do a will of fortune episode about with a best friends week because mm-hmm. naturally <laughs> and then just have like the entire thing explode on national tele well national syndicated television mm-hmm. and it was it was enjoyable watching honey just slowly break um mm-hmm. from the presence of the wongs in her house yeah and i i think the capper even more so than her breakdown at the wheel of fortune game is the dinner with marvin yeah. <laughs> and just tur- after just bad mouthing her for like two minutes turns off the light and they're having like a semi-romantic dinner at the kitchen counter and it's just like this is very good show i really appreciated <laughs> that visual gag it made me very it made me very happy so no i i liked how this all kind of played out and i liked how it hopefully sort of pushes their relationship uh, a little bit forward a little bit um, since we're never going to get any more Michael Bolton, that makes me sad. Very sad. Tears. The gambler always wins, Kate. <laughs> um, let's move on to our next episode, and that is Kevin Probably Saves the World. Um, which, is this a comedy? Is this a dr- We weren't sure where to put it, so we put it under comedy. Um, this is, uh, the Jason Ritter of it all helps with that. Uh, but, um... This one was better than I was expecting because I was not expecting much other than Jason Ritter to be charming. Um, how did this one work for you? It was it was all right. Like I wasn't completely wowed by any of it, and uh, Jason Ritter's fine in it. I think 
Um, but I also feel like everyone's on slightly different wavelengths with what this show is. And for those of you who didn't watch, uh, deals with a stockbroker, high-powered business-type guy played by Jason Ritter, who has previously attempted to commit suicide. Uh, he's had a number of other, like, emotional ups and downs, so he's moving back in with his sister and her daughter. And then an asteroid strikes the earth not near from their house and suddenly he's talking to an angel and is one of the chosen folks who can potentially save the world but he has to find the other ones before the only the only chosen one in the world even though there are 35 other meteor strikes and right there are probably 35 other people being told the same thing yeah um if this is not just in his head right so there's a whole thing about like mental health some kind of maybe coming into this Plus a religious religious aspect. And then there's just like the tones of having like a weird military briefing that's supposed to be serious, but isn't played for laughs in any real way, shape or form. And mm-hmm. it just feels very pro forma. And so all the crazy hijinks that happens with Jason Ritter just feel like they're part of a slightly different show than this other show that's kind of existing on the fringes with his sister a little bit. And I, so I didn't know what to make of it, and I don't think that the show knows what to make of it, at least within this episode. Yeah, I think the drama version of this is more interesting, and yes. that, that deals with mental health, and the comedy version of this could also be fun. But again, like you were saying, the, this everything we get with the, the chopper out of nowhere and the military briefing and like doesn't fit at all. Like, it it's really disjointed um the most affecting scene for me which you know i think they knew what they were going for there and they succeeded was the the hug at the airport and i thought ritter nailed the performance there of just how powerful and how affecting a hug can be from a stranger even when you didn't know how much you needed it yeah. And that they they land that moment, and I think it was essential, considering that's what he's supposed to do for people who haven't seen it, is go around hugging strangers that he thinks might be the anointed ones um, so that they can save the world. Um, yeah, so th- there's there's something here, I think. I don't know if they'll be able to find it, but I'll check. I'll stick around for a little bit to see if they do. What about you? Um, maybe I like Ritter enough. Um, yeah. Like that whole scene that you're describing, like it basically only works because of him. I don't think anything yeah. else about that scene works in any way, shape or form. And then they just delay the punchline way too long to uh, make the scene funny. So it's just a really, it's a really, really, really structured show. And I was really grappling with that in the pilot. So, but Maybe it'll get better. I'll give it another couple episodes, I think. But okay. I have, like, a super low tolerance for this already. <laughs> um, Fair enough. Um, yeah. Next up is The Mayor, which you had already seen and talked yes. about in our preview. And I did also enjoy it. The thing that was strange for me, and this also happened in Kevin Saves the World um, and, and Ghosted, a couple other ones, is how quickly this season comedies or just new shows are establishing their premise. Just, like, two lines and we're into it. Like, yeah. he's... Courtney is elected mayor in the first, like, five minutes of the episode. I expected an entire episode of him getting elected. And then, oh, what's gonna happen now? And then an entire episode. Like, so that's... It, it felt very rushed and wasn't as satisfying because of that. But I also kind of appreciate them getting some of that stuff out of the way. Uh, how did you feel about that? Well, at least with the mayor's case, like, the premise isn't so much whether or not he's gonna get elected. It's the it's whether or not he wants to actually be the mayor. 
and how he balances that against his desire to be a rapper and that's that's where the premise is and that's what i that's where i think that the episode is wise to have him get elected so quickly so that they can have this community cleanup that he bungles and then yeah because they, they wouldn't rap have, with david diggs they wouldn't have called the cops ahead of time to give him a heads up about it yeah. and just having a piece of paper what it meant the noise complaints didn't mean anything that's how it works i had some trouble with with that well, there's also <laughs> you know y- yvette nicole brown's character getting arrested but keeping her job yeah uh, which is not a thing that how that works for postal employees no. i think no um so yeah but we have to keep this going but yeah this is how the episode sort of feels about all of this so i'm like i said in the preview i'm still like really eager to see more of this um because i i i think this is probably like the best pilot of a very weak batch Mm -hmm. but it's i think it's the one that has like the most sort of promise as something to to have a lot of fun with its premise and the politics of it all and again the two two guys playing his best friend are just amazing they're so <laughs> very funny yeah um, no there's yeah. there's a lot here to enjoy absolutely yeah. and and the, perf- the the central performances i think do buoy this in a way that like my my issues with the 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 permit and these other these other details would weigh down the show a lot more if there wasn't such right. a winning central performance and if it wasn't Yvette Nicole Brown being fabulous, always love her. So yeah, I, I'm on the same page with you uh, as you with this one. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely be, I'll be checking out the next few. I'm sure you will too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And certainly we'll both be checking out more DuckTales, the Beagle Birthday Massacre. Um, so this one, Yes, the Beagle Boys are back. Yes, uh, Ma Be- Beagle is back. Um, I like how you almost said Ma, Ma Bennett. And that, that was intentional. Happen. I was doing a thing, and now oh, that okay. we've explained the joke, it's even funnier. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's how that works. That's how comedy works. That's how comedy works, guys. Now, noticed, now, but... now we need to do it two more times. And, and it'll then be... it'll be a callback, because then it won't yeah. be funny, then it will be funny, and that's because it's a rule of threes. Yeah. I see. I can, we've seen enough comedies explaining comedy to us. Oh, God. Anyways, DuckTales is much better than to do that. Uh, this one, though, is all about Webby making a friend. Uh, so mm-hmm. so for that was the core of the episode for me. How did it work for you? I had, I, I really enjoyed this um, from just uh, getting more. I, I really love how the show has sort of embraced Webby. Uh, even like with the previous um, episode where she takes down Ma, Ma Beagle and how they navigate uh that and her abilities and everything is really great so i really like how this episode sort of follows up on that in more ways than one and has her as you say make a friend except it's not a friend it's a sinister plot for magica dispel to come back and i'm very excited about that uh because also like Catherine tate's voicing magica and i'm very mm-hmm. excited about Catherine tate voicing magica dispel um <laughs> But yeah, yeah. So it's just it's a lot of fun, um, and I think that the the different sort of Beagle Boys that we got to see were all really great, from the nice Beagle Boys to the not so nice Beagle Boys to the really creepy hangout in the park after dark Beagle Boys that feel like <laughs> refugees from like Batman Beyond, and I love it. I'm there for this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I just really enjoyed sort of how fun this was and how how much fun like they're allowing webigail to have yeah no it was nice to have one centered more on her and yeah. uh to, to we didn't 
I didn't miss Scrooge at all in this or no. Donald at all. So it was. I think this is a good. You know, if I have to pick a character to not have in an episode rather than not having one of the trio, I'd rather not have Scrooge. So yeah. I think this was a good hijink set of hijinks to uh, to follow. Um, speaking of hijinks, a good place, Team Cockroach. Serious hijinks ensuing there with uh, well, the titular Team Cockroach. Uh, How did you feel about this episode? It, it, they had Eleanor be the holdout of the team. Um, and they spent an entire episode convincing her to go along with Michael. Um, for me, I, I it didn't necessarily feel as right. It felt a little felt a little off because I don't like this. She keep I like this idea they gave her that whenever someone says this is your only option, there there's some other option. They're lying. There's some other option. They're just trying to convince you. Uh, that was very uh, smart and very canny and very appropriate for, for Eleanor. However, none of them know what that other option is. And so to to stretch out the entire episode when you know, it didn't quite work for me. Uh, how did you, how, what did you think? I think this is probably the weakest episode the show's ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's a heavy heart with, with which I say that. Um, but that's also comparing it to a bunch of really funny episodes. Right. And it's also just comparing it to the fact that this is a show that's very deft and light on its feet. And this is an episode that's decidedly lurchy in a lot of ways for me in that they have to deliver a lot of exposition very quickly and answer some like big world universe questions that are now suddenly going to be very relevant. But then for me, a lot of like what you were talking about with Eleanor's being a holdout to Michael's plan is... Also, the fact that there's not really a solid through line for Eleanor in this episode, I feel like. Yeah. There's no, like, emotional beats. Instead, we get the scene in which Tahani dies instead. And while as amusing and wonderful and beautifully fitting as that death was for uh, Tahani, it's it feels out of place within the confines of this episode that's ostensibly, again, about Eleanor wanting to run away again with a train full of cocaine (laughs) (laughs) and and that was just it was really it was really difficult to latch onto the episode in any way shape or form because there wasn't like an emotional center to it for me yeah um as much as the show wanted there to be one i don't think that there was an actual through line in this episode and that's really weird for the show because they almost always have one yeah well, yeah, and, and with Eleanor, my my issue with it was like she's against it, she's against it, she's against it. How many episodes? How many minutes left? One minute left. She's down with the plan, yeah. and they're like, you know, because the flashback we get is to Hani because of you know, I, I enjoyed Jason immediately being on board because he likes bow ties. Yeah, uh, they continue that the writing for that character can, and the delivery continues to be delightful. I really appreciated them asking the the questions and getting that information about Janet. I thought was terrific and gives them so many more options for what they can do with her as a non-static character at this point um but yeah it was i still thought it was funny i still really enjoyed the episode but it certainly was not as inventive or creative as the rest of the season has been yeah and even just from an aesthetics level i really struggled because it seemed like a darker lit episode in a lot of ways and the shot selection and editing rhythm of the episode just seemed 
really sort of it felt like they really didn't know what to do with their bottle episode that they didn't know what to do with this house is like a set in which they're going to have to spend an entire 22 minutes and realize oh we don't have a lot of shooting options in this house (laughs) what are we going to do so things just it felt really it felt contained in really bad ways and in ways that didn't use the space very well so it was just a it was a really weird miss of an episode for me, and I never, I didn't really think I'd get to the point in which I say that. But then I realized if we put this into like the context of a, like a twenty-two episode sort of thing, this is like a deeply transitionary episode that comes at like episode eighteen to get you to the last run of that season, almost in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And while I can sort of justify its quality in that sense, I just also go, but they they move so much they move so well on other things like this. And then it's just like, but we have to do all this. And I also wanted to hear Vicky sing that entire song, Kate. I just wanted to hear her <laughs> sing all of it. I I did not want to hear that. Um, but I also don't believe Michael for a second. Right. When he says well, no. he can why, get them to the good we? place. Like, yeah. why would that be the thing that convinces you when it's obviously the lie? Like the other yeah. stuff, not a lie. That clearly a lie or a very careful wording. I mean, Anyways, okay. Uh, what won your week in TV? Your week in comedy, uh, I say. My week in comedy, I'm going to give it to the Beagle Birthday Massacre! Um, <laughs> which is not how you say that, but I'm going to give it to that. Uh, what about you? Uh, well, I want to give some love. Uh, shout out to the last week tonight uh, John, with John Oliver, like, mini film, like, the thing they did, trailer they did for the CSI, like the real CSI show with Josh Charles and an entire delightful extended cast. I want to see like the 15 minute NTSF SUV or, or children's hospital version of that show. I season pass right now. It was oh, delightful. So good. It was so good. The puns were so terrible. It was, it was amazing. Um, so probably that was actually the most I left at anything all week was that. Um, mm-hmm. but I will give it as for like a whole episode. I'll, I'll give it to you the Blackish premiere. It certainly is the one that I will be thinking about the most. Sure. You know, a few weeks from now. Um, now we'll take a break and come back with our week in genre and drama. This week in genre and drama, we're going to talk a bit about the Inhumans premiere. Behold, the Inhumans, because of course, that's their first episode title. Um, and also those who don't destroy us. Then we'll talk a bit about the season two premiere of The Exorcist, Janice, or is it Janice? Is it Janice? How, is that a J or a Y sound? Uh, the two-headed, the two-faced god, of course. Janice, in that case, Janice. I think. Yeah. Okay. Then we'll talk a bit about the premiere of The Gifted, Exposed, with a capital X. See what they did there? Ah, huh? yeah, that's right, that's right. Then uh, Queen Sugar came back for its mid-season premiere, Yet Do I Marvel, and Drums at Dusk. I'll talk a little bit about Outlander of Lost Things, and we'll round things out with <laughs> Catch Fire. 
Who needs a guy? We need a guy. Hold and catch fire. We need a very specific guy, but we'll talk about that at the end of the segment. So first up is Marvels and Humans, and everybody was talking about how this was bad, and boy, they weren't wrong. It's I don't, really bad. I don't know what people were talking about. Like, I thought this was great. Like, as soon as they started doing their new cover of Paint It Black, I knew that we had something really ordinary on our hands right here. <laughs> <laughs> Because I've never heard a show use a cover of Painted Black in such a way before. And this is groundbreaking, Kate. No, this was shit. Uh, um, yeah, no, it was just aggressively boring. Um, as I sort of, like, I hate being I told you so. But I told you so, Marvel. The Inhumans is a bad idea. And case in point, this did not work very well. Um, no. So what didn't work well for you, Kate? Or do you just want to, like, go, blah, and move on? Um, okay, I'll just say a couple things. Sure. First of all, uh, I'm sure he's lovely and it was cast for a reason. But if somebody can't use their voice, they gotta be much more magnetic than the person they have playing Black Bolt here. Or you gotta shoot him different, or you gotta give him better direction. I don't know where the fault lies, but Black Bolt does not work at yeah. all in this. The CGI for Medusa is very bad. The hair it just does not work. But that's not the issue with that character. The issue with that character is that she has, like, no power to her. She's the queen, and yet, is I guess, we still have misogyny on the moon. Because no one cares what she has to say or think. Well, I guess she's just there. Obviously, we still have misogyny on the moon, Kate. Why would yeah. misogyny not be on the moon? I'm just saying, like, it's they're very they're, basic. They're not advanced. They're just inhuman. <laughs> Yeah, well, whatever. And the other main problem is with the writing. And like I could have gone with a lot of this, but the 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 writing for the 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 villain Maximus, right? First of all, of course he's named Maximus. Anyways, that's that's not their fault. That's in the comic. But um yeah, just there's there's no motivation other than the just traditional basic he's a villain he wants power ah, ha, ha. twirl the mustache um and then yet they try to give him this narrative of he's freeing the people but we all know it's about his own power but we're supposed to be rooting for the people who are sending those who are genetically inferior in their minds to to work in the mines like this is all so completely messed up. Like, this doesn't work at all to get us to root for these people. Who thought this was a good idea? Not just the show as a whole, but this specific plot. No. No, no, no. Very bad no. That's, yeah. That's all I'll say. I was yeah. fine with the dog, the giant CGI dog. I was fine with uh, Ken, Ken Leung. Yeah. I was fine with the hooves and the cheesy thing with that, like, with the with the rover or whatever. Like... I was I was willing to go with a lot of this, but it's rotten at its core because it doesn't have a central like conceit or central motivating uh, tension in its its uh, main villain, and I guess they're supposed to be the heroes. Um, so so it doesn't matter how much you dress up the same plot we've seen a million times; it's just not going to be interesting. Right, and not going to be interesting is pretty much like the best way to describe it. Like the show's decision to separate all our heroes so that they can join forces and find each other maybe at the end when it's just at the most opportune moment. Just in time for the two-part finale. Yeah. Right. To which I go, oh, well, this is going to be boring. And it was. Because it just, who cares? It's like, to your point, it's just like there's not enough reason to care about anything that's happening. 
and there's not enough reason to enjoy sort of the hijinks of people who look human but clearly have no idea how Earth operates, even though they can clearly see it in their big pool television screen that they have. And they're just like, what the f*** is a car? And just, <laughs> I'm yeah. very confused by all of these cars. Um, and also, this suit is mine now. And just yeah. how all of this stuff works is just kind of ridiculous. And not in an entertaining way, just in a, we needed to do these things to justify this thing sort of way. And that that just makes for really bad TV and it's a frustrating thing to watch and it's yeah. a boring thing to watch but man kate that painted black cover really good yeah. stuff yeah okay let's no. let's move on <laughs> let's talk about the exorcist now we watched the beginning of season one did you stick with the exorcist season one no i stopped a little bit after their uh reveal that they did not because i didn't stop because of the reveal i just kind of didn't like they went on hiatus around then i think and then came yeah back. and then i didn't come back to it um yeah so I, yeah so i i kept up with it a little bit and then they went on hiatus and i just never came back yeah i i i just got away from it um and so only watched the first like three episodes maybe of season one so i jumped in with season two premiere um knowing that was somewhat of a reboot uh for this new season a new setting and everything and i tried to as i was watching it like look up recaps or like kind of catch up with what had happened in season one and there is no coverage of the show online it's like a shocking dearth of like i was i assume there would be some sort of like a fan wiki or something and there is one but it's very sketched like yeah. lightly sketched out like there, i was looking i i finally found a description of what happened in the last couple of episodes but they're like using throwing on all this terminology that they didn't link to in a separate description so I have no idea what happened at the end of the last season or why our two central priests are on the run. Um, but uh, I did enjoy this episode enough. I thought there was some some interesting stuff there. The um, main part I was interested in was the stuff with John Cho and his well, how creepy... How not be? Because it's John Cho, right? Yeah. Um, which everything, like, the Inhumans would be, like, if you had John Cho be Black Bolt, I would ah. probably still be watching. Right. Um, but, anyways. John uh, Cho for all the roles. Pretty much. Pretty yeah. much. Um, but the the stuff with the priests, I thought, was okay. Um, I like both those actors quite a bit. Of course, from having seen them in, well, all the British things and Smash. Um, and then in Sense8, of course, uh, for the other priest. But, um... For me, that that was very by the numbers. Um, even like I guess the going into the mind space for the 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 talking to the demon was was something a little different. But it was it was kind of um, for someone who doesn't watch exorcist type things, it was still very by the numbers exorcisty. Yeah, um, I, I was more interested in, in trying to figure out which kid was going to be possessed or whatever in in the John Cho corner of this series. Now. How did you feel about the two parts? Did the priest? Did you have more luck with the priest part of it than I did? Were you similarly interested in John Cho, the John Cho family part of it, or what did you think? Right. So no, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Like everything that was happening with the priest in Kansas City was sort of fine, and I was also just like, so when are they going to get to Washington exactly? Because they're like half a country away from one another right now, and I want to move this along. Um, mm -hmm. but to your point, like both of those actors were really good and in no small part, like sort of why I kept with the exorcist as long as I did is that both of them did a lot of legwork in keeping me engaged. 
And they still do that here really well, even though I could really care less about this woman that they're attempting to save and why they're on the run. Because it's very weird that this show opens with a big car chase through a farm area yeah. uh, while they're trying to do an exorcism in the bed of a pickup truck. And so it's just like, this is weird. This is weird. This doesn't I work. Wanna- I want to go back to a haunted house, please. And then they're just like, here's a haunted house. Now imagine if all the, now imagine if all the kids from Stranger Things were here, but older. (laughs) (laughs) It's sort of what they gave us. Yeah. But I still enjoyed like uh, the time that they took to sort of like lay everything out in the house and to kind of give a couple of jump scares but to just kind of establish like the dynamics and everything of these kids and amongst each other and then with Cho's character. So I, I really enjoyed it and I'm really eager to see what they do to the house going forward because it's a really nice house that they've set up for this. And so I just want to spend a lot more time there and I want to spend a lot more time in cool looking weather and uh, <laughs> sweaters. Yeah, so everyone in sweaters? There's everyone in sweaters, Kate. And as someone who's wearing like a big fluffy cardigan because my apartment is just cold enough to justify it, um that i i need more people in sweaters uh on lakes (laughs) (laughs) uh so i think i'll stick with this for a few more episodes at least um but i i kind of want the priest to get to the house really quickly for some reason yeah yeah we'll see um certainly um the 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 pillowcase thing yeah so creepy it's very Um, creepy but also like it feels appropriate you know like like I think they earned that, and the uh, the stuff with the the other kids as well. Like the one thing that they didn't earn for me uh, was the the smart Alec kid talking about the flying spaghetti monster. Yeah, like kids don't talk about the flying spaghetti monster anymore. That's that that's from when we were kids. That's are you like, are you sure it wasn't a ki- are you sure it wasn't Steve Buscemi saying hey kids <laughs> with a with a uh, 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 skateboard. skateboard. Yeah. Over his shoulder? Yeah, that's true. Maybe it was. Maybe this is disguise all along. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's move on to The Gifted uh, and their premiere, Exposed, which uh, was better than The Inhumans. Yes. Um, that's not saying a whole lot, though, It's not saying a lot. Uh, I don't really care about any of them uh, here. Not the least be- of which is because like of the costuming. Did they have to <laughs> have everybody on the, the mutant team, like wearing black like the guy is wearing a a black tank top and then a black leather vest really well, how else are they going to blend into all those abandoned that's, streets that they go to he, that's not a vest guy he's not a vest guy like come on like i was having trouble with just some of the that parts of it, those parts of it and uh i think that there there's like i was saying with um ghosted they needed to have their infrastructure figured out i think they here on the gifted there's a much stronger sense of that they they have a system like the political and and like a law enforcement like system around the the person they're going to end up trying to rescue and stuff like that seems like it's much more thought out and they they know where they're going to go and everything with this one but i still was having trouble connecting to the the characters specifically um amy acker and and steven uh, moyer yeah. yeah, I thought they should have done better with both of them. The kids are thinly sketched, but that's kind of what you expect. I think they should have done better with those actors. They should be able to get a lot more out of the two parents. Uh, what did you think? I thought it was fine. Like, it's to your point about sort of what we've been talking about with um, shows, like, going really quickly with their premise to, like, make sure people stay hooked and don't wander away. 
um, is that they're just like, all right, we're going to be on the run. We've got this inciting incident right at the end, but we've got cool stuff too, everyone, and secrets. <laughs> and uh, to which I promptly went, well, all of this makes sense, and I'm fine with this, and Amy Acker's lovely and amazing and everything, but I don't care, is where I sort of like boiled down to a lot of this on. And yeah. That 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 was frustrating, but the show is able to get away with a lot of it because they're just borrowing so much from like the X Men film continuity, which is ostensibly a part of in some fashion, one way or another. Who who knows for sure? Um, but so it allows them to get away with a bunch of stuff really quickly with shorthand that they can keep the plot focused on this family, but. It just needed a slower build, I think, in the long run for me, uh, in terms of like having like the the prom be the end towards the end of the episode rather than the halfway through point of the episode, and yeah. just like get gearing up a little bit more in episode two. But no, we got to move really quick because, admittedly, there's a lot to watch as we routinely complain about. <laughs> it's interesting. Um, how do you- what do you think of the, you know, what I was saying about Star Trek Discovery is that I would have been much more interested in the first two episodes if they had been the season one finale, or at least the mid-season finale. How yeah. how do you feel about this episode in the same way? Like, do you think it would have been more successful if it was just, like, no ordinary family for the first few episodes and then they went on the run? I think that it would have been harder for them to justify that insofar as, like, their dad works for the government for the very thing that is, like, working to put these kids in jail Mm -hmm. um but i think that would have been i think i would have liked that more Mm -hmm. and i think i would have liked that more a little bit of like seeing him have some tension and thing uh, to like along the lines of like heroes and yeah um, two heroesy that's my other question right of noah bennett and going like well i've got this daughter who has powers but i'm gonna do all these things etc 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 but yeah. not drag that out as long as heroes did. But there's a tension there that they could play with that they just very quickly put off onto putting these kids with these resistance fighters and this mom with these resistance fighters that they have to go save two people now and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah. A bunch of, I guess, trying to sacrifice character for action, yeah. but the action's not going to be as good as it would need to be Yeah. to sustain that. So. Um, okay, I'm not checking back in. What do you think, you? Uh, probably not, unless I just hear some really good things about it from some folks. But yeah, I think I'm I think I'm good. I think I'm good, especially when there are significantly better superhero shows coming back in a week. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of shows coming back, Queen Sugar is back, and we had Yet Do I Marvel and Drums at Dusk. Um, I really like these two premieres. I, I that was so funny is I was immediately wanted to tweet about yay Queen Sugar is back and it's so great and then immediately I also wanted to tweet oh but Ralph Angel's the worst he's still terrible <laughs> I did I did because I couldn't like I was like in the middle of tweeting about how excited I was about Queen Sugar and then I just like okay I have to make this tweet about how I hate Ralph Angel um, I think he serves a valuable purpose in the show and like it's fitting for the character and I'm not saying they should change the character but he's still the worst <laughs> how did you feel about this premiere right so i only got to watch the premiere i didn't have um the emotional bandwidth to do drums at dusk uh-huh. um so i only did get to our marvel and kate why 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 is aunt vi sick I, she's she's gonna be better soon because she's gotta make 
all those pies. Did you see that yet? Do you know no. what I'm talking about? Okay, well then never mind. Okay. She doesn't have to make all those pies. I did okay. not just spoil you about anything. Um, I don't know, but she's going to be totally fine because we're going to willpower it to be so. Okay, good. No, so I, yeah. I enjoyed the premiere. Um, uh, it felt like it felt like a natural sort of like return from where they dropped off at the uh, mid-season point for the summer. And um, I think in particular, like the big thing that we can discuss is Lorna. And the uh, powerhouse that is Lorna, uh, who uh, is Charlie's mom and is played by Shannon Lawrence. Sharon Lawrence. Yeah, yeah. I want to make yeah. sure that was right. And yeah. just how really on point that casting is for this type of a character, because Sharon Lawrence can do this in her sleep. Mm-hmm. And it's a really solid performance. And it also sets up like a bunch of other stuff of like, uh darla calling her family and like the possibility of her family showing up and just this entire idea of blue wanting to do his family tree and what this means and how this can all start to really play into the show again and i'm really excited by all of that yeah no i really am as well um as i continue to hate on ralph angel i continue to be really impressed with what they've done with darla and how they've handled that character um and yeah the <laughs> i'm torn because i keep just want to be like dump his ass but don't because don't but like <laughs> but seriously dude she should dump your ass um yeah it's 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 uh certainly with her family coming in too hopefully that will spark more awareness from from him and like what she is lost and what she is working for every day with their family um yeah it's really been that Darla character has been handled so much better here than on any other show I can think of that's done some something like that. Um, yeah, for Sharon Lawrence, terrific casting. I never would have thought of it, but when I saw them, I was like, oh, that's so good. That yeah. is, like, that's so good. The answer that she gives as to why she hasn't been on the show to this point. It's so bad. It's, it's so, so horrible. Like, it's perfectly fitting yes. how horrible it is. Um, yeah. Yeah, she's the, you know, she's also the worst. I and, just need um, to be a really good friend to my friend that has a to boat. My that was, we were yachting around, or cruising around the world, and, oh, God, yeah, just just so, so horrible. I, I liked that they had Micah tell Charlie what went down, and that she's immediately told, like, four other people, which she shouldn't have, but, like, I, how could she not? Um I like that that's now an open secret amongst yeah. many of the cast. Um, I like what we're getting with Nova um, and Robert. Um, I loved their conversation about n- both not wanting kids. Um, there aren't many characters on TV who are not vilified for not wanting kids who are like, that's like part, they could have kids, but they don't want to have kids. Like that's not usually a thing on TV. Usually there's a character who doesn't think they want kids and then they find out they can't have kids and then they're really upset about it because they wanted to choose not to have kids. And then that's the only time that plot line ever comes up. So, yeah. you know, there was, it was neat that they, that they brought that up as well. Um, yeah. And as well as like uh, the stuff with Kiki, um, and them like chasing off after the cameras instead of hanging out with Micah and his girlfriend. <laughs> I'd like that there's that little addition in there too of where their priorities, you know, as well. Some questioning of that so they're not just straight up forward um, heroic figures fighting the good fight and everything. Um, yeah. 
but no, I so I really liked a lot of what we got here, and I'm certainly intrigued for what's going to be coming next. Uh, there's hints at a greater role for our antagonists from the first part of season one. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's a good call. I think it's the right time to bring them back. And uh, that's the only concerns we have, because Vi's going to be fine. Vi's going to be super fine, because otherwise yeah. Noel's going to... I was going to curl up in a ball and like, all the tears, like, all the tears. Anything else you want to mention about this premiere? Or shall I move on to Outlander? Yeah, no, tell me about Outlander on the f- and uh, of Lost Things. So the only thing I wanted to mention about this one, other than I'm grateful that they're skipping ahead in time significantly to get us back to Claire and Jamie together. I think the show works much better when we're in one time period um, is the um, they that they had this in this episode. They had jamie get raped again but they didn't want to acknowledge that it was rape uh because they of how they how they wanted the scene to they had to get him into a situation where he would have sex with a certain character so that she could get pregnant so that she could die in childbirth and then something could happen such that he ends up kind of raising the kid like it was was like this whole thing that had to happen so that he could have a kid because they wanted him to have a kid that then he had to leave um after like 10 years um but so the way they but they knew he wouldn't just have sex with this character that they needed him to have sex with for the plot so they had her blackmail him into having sex with her and then but then they tried to play it as this sweet thing because she didn't want the first time she had sex to be with her old creepy husband who she doesn't care about that her family's marrying her off to and so she she wanted her first time to, to be with somebody like jamie like okay but that doesn't matter if he doesn't have a choice and yeah he he chose to be there or else she was going to like reveal his identity because he's in hiding and threaten his entire family but that's that's not a choice and so that is removal of, of the ability to consent which makes this rape and the show does not want you to think it is and it's so frustrating because they could have they could have done this in a different way. They could have done this, gotten the same result and just done, phrased it differently or had her, like, retract, you know, like, re- retract her, like, charge against him. Say, like, no, I won't do it. I'm sorry. I won't do it. I just really didn't want my first time to be with this. And then have him decide to sleep with her anyways, because that gives him a choice. And they didn't do that. And I don't understand why they didn't. And it's weird and it's stupid and i expect better from these writers who have previously overall handled rape really thoughtfully and about when they were going to use it and why so i just i just wanted to mention it for that reason it's just very puzzling to me when there was such an easy way you could have fixed this you know just even in dialogue in one of their scenes had her apologize and and take back you know, like, say she promised she wasn't going to blackmail him, and then, but he decides to stay anyways when he could leave, then that would take care of all your problems. Ugh, I'm so frustrated about this, Noel. Um, but I, I will say that the um, the stuff in the Jamie part of the episode is much more compelling than the stuff in the, the, the Claire part of the episode. The the chemistry with um, Claire and, and Brianna is, like, the daughter, that's, I'm not really that intrigued by that character interested in that character so again what the sooner they can get jamie and claire back in the same time period the better as far as i'm concerned um let's move on to our last episode nope, of the week nope. it this episode didn't happen kate 
Didn't. La, 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 la. <laughs> so, so obviously we're talking about Halden Catch Fire, who needs a guy, and my, so, so as we get to the end of the episode and you realize what has happened, um, it was very sad, uh, it was also very beautifully handled, and I immediately felt like an idiot, I was like, of course that's what this episode was, because as soon as you have the, the realization of this is Gordon's last episode, everything they've been having him do all episodes, like, oh, that's, that's character goodbye stuff. Where he's like tinkering with things and he's repairing his relationship with his daughter. And last episode, he had that lovely heart to heart with Donna. And his whole thing is about him. Like, there's so much of him and Joe coming to a mutual understanding. Like, this is final episode loving goodbye stuff. Yeah. So I felt like an idiot. Did you feel like an idiot or did you see it coming more than I did? <laughs> no, I felt like an idiot because I thought something was going to happen to Joe, in fact. I thought that it was sort of a misdirect and that, like, something was going to happen to Joe. Which, you know, with the, the Joe and, and Cam stuff. Right. Would have been, like, I do think about building a house here. Like, that's that's also very heavily, right. like, foreshadowing. Yeah. And, like, he got his reconciliation with Boz in the previous episode. So mm -hmm. it's just like, hey, we're good. And then they're just like, no, <laughs> gotcha. No, we killed Gordon. <laughs> and it made me very sad. And I was texting my friend just a series of string of no's over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it made me very upset. But no, this was just, it was such a really good episode. On the heels of another, like the last week's episode was also really, really good. So just this whole sort of, as you said, like goodbye of like, him going through Haley's room after, like, seeing her with her hair lopped off, but also seeing the test that she aced. Yeah. And, but, like, going through her room and then, like, spending the day with Joe fixing the air conditioner and discussing the ideas of a redesign versus a relaunch and Joe being kind of a dick about it. But Gordon <laughs> understanding that J Joe is A, right, but B, that Joe is just sort of a dick sometimes and you just go mm -hmm. with it. Yeah. And it's just, it's really good that this is a show that has managed to heal so many things, basically, that this is something that feels just really just intense. And but still feels delightfully earned as well. Yeah. And oh, I can't talk anymore because otherwise I'm going to cry. So, Kate, you need to, you need <laughs> okay. to talk. No. Well, let's let's cover this. Is this how they're going to get mommy and mommy back together? I gosh, I would I would expect so probably. Uh -huh. Um, if also only because I really think that. Cameron does not like Alexa. I don't like Alexa. <laughs> um, that how like sort of generally disinterested Alexa is in what Cam wants to do versus what she thinks Cam should do, I, I is really sort of frustrating to watch because Cam doesn't want to be told what to do, as we all know. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, and also Alexa being interested. I like the, I like the idea of of Cam being challenged to think bigger because yes. you know the, that conversation she has with Joe of one's last time someone told you you're thinking too small is yeah. terrific. Um, but I, the the stuff that Alexa is interested in is not what Cam is interested in because of course what right. she's always been interested in is connection, and yeah. we see Donna was it this week or last week finishing the game. It was this week, and and that's when you realize this whole time you've been following a kid finding his way home or her way home um yeah. and and that being so 
so fitting, so very cam. Like, yeah, it's not just looking for a home. It's not just the cabin, but it's also running into the arms of a bigger creature that I think we're supposed to think is mom or dad. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, was so perfect. Yes, that's and that's the end. We see the credits roll. That's what Cam is interested in. She's yeah. interested in connection. And if Alexa's not, that's not going to be a pairing that's going to last yeah. for very long. No, it can't. But I mean, now we're in a place where Donna is sort of in limbo a little bit at uh, the VC firm and is also sort of like now life in limbo now and what that means for her and what that means for what she does if she's going to like go and work for her direct competitor if she can even stomach the idea of Mm -hmm. teaming up with Joe or Cameron considering the fact that now she has like no bridge to either of them beyond herself yeah and that's really scary and really just that has to be like super fraught because despite the fact that joe sorry not joe gordon and donna have managed to maintain a relationship that worked for both of them that they that donna wasn't able to do that with joe and cameron and it's really it's super interesting to me if the show makes itself about reestablishing those connections to your point about what drives Cameron and making it about Donna. And it's a really neat idea. And I'm really yeah. excited to see what they do with only a few hours left. Yeah, only two more weeks because they got the double finale. Yeah. <sighs> I'm gonna be really sad when this one's gone. I know it's been such a strong last season. I, I just want to uncancel the show and be like, guys, <laughs> You can do a, you can do another season. I, I, I just do another season. AMC, you don't have anything else. Let's let's be really clear here. You've got Let's The Walking excited. Dead. You got nothing else. <laughs> um, is there anything else in this episode that you want to specifically touch on? Let's talk about that last sequence we get. Uh, in in like of, of this is your life. I thought that was such a creative way to to handle Gordon's last moments and his you know seeing your life flash before your eyes. But the way that they shot it it's it's such a slow pivot into the the dream world because there's enough heightened stuff in the way that the in the style yeah. generally that it's not necessarily an instant tip off i thought it was so so affecting and the the, the moments that they chose for him all being centered around the home and not around work at all yeah. despite that being such a big part of his life i thought it was very telling yeah and it's funny that you felt like it wasn't a tip off cuz i as soon as donner like breezed into the door i just went wait a minute her hair was in a ponytail and I rewound the <laughs> and went, yep. Okay. So we're, we're going to hallucinate. And I didn't like immediately go to, we're going to hallucinate. And then he's going to die off screen. Um, I just mm-hmm. went, he's going to hallucinate. He'll be fine. And, but no, I think that's a really good point that you make that. So everything that he experiences is home related and domestic, but also Donna. Yeah. And, what that sort of meant and how I never really felt like Gordon in a sort of like holding pattern in any way, shape or form, but certainly like Donna was sort of like it for him. And the fact that that's where he ends with them as a family and like random little bits of a memory of her and then Haley and um, Joni. Joni, thank you. Um, how they 
worked together still and it's just it's so it's so sweet and your point about like especially like within this episode of the lighting and everything being stylized ish more so than usual allows them to sort of play that just real quick before he goes into the kitchen and it's just like wait that suits from the 80s (laughs) (laughs) yeah i loved that we didn't see katie find the body yeah, I, and they kept all all those moments off screen. Instead, our focus is on the moment before and the moment after, and um, for for Don for Katie, but also for Donna and for Joe and and Cameron too. So it was it was very affecting, and it's going to be an emotional last few episodes for us as as well as the rest of the Halt and Catch Fire team. Um, any final thoughts, or else uh, what won your week in genre and drama? As if it was even close. Right, no, it's uh, the Halt and Catch Fire um, Who Needs a Guy won my week in genre and drama. Uh, what about you? Yeah, the Halt and Catch Fire award goes to heart, Halt and Catch Fire, um, which is, I feel like that's probably what it's going to be for the next two weeks. I mean, and that's that's saying something, because Queen Sugar is delightful. It's really good, but yeah. I mean, this, this week it was all about Halt and Catch Fire, so... Yeah. A few show notes here at the end of our Week in TV. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us at televerse at gmail.com. You can find us in iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And we're also up in Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews both places. It helps other people find the show. Let's us know that you're listening. Um, you can also like our page on Facebook, start up a conversation there, send us a message. And of course, we're both on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse. And Noel, you are? At Noel RK and thank you again Noel for being such a fabulous co-host hopefully as we're recording now we haven't exploded the world um but in case we have we know you know at least if we go split into uh the worst timeline maybe Rick and Morty will pop in and save us um which is my way of awkwardly transitioning to the season three retrospective season spotlight for Rick and Morty with friend of the show Zach Hanlon of the AV club so we're gonna take a break here and come back uh bit adieu to Noel since you're not a Rick and Morty guy um and come back with Zach to talk a little Rick and Morty be right back after this Morty Rick where are you on my workbench Morty are you invisible and you're gonna like fart on me flip the pickle over Turn myself into a pickle, Morty! I'm Pickle Rick! Bonkers. Welcome to the darkest year of our adventure. Oh, yeah! Kill me, please. Okay, but not because you told me to. Getting darker. We're being called to assemble by the Vindicators! I refuse to answer a literal call to adventure, Morty. Let it go to voicemail. Steal Team Rick's in the house! I call that progress. She's huge! And normal. Everything okay here? Mind your own goddamn business, Gene! Take more than that to kill Rick and Morty! This might do it. Run, Morty! We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, and this week I am excited to welcome back to the podcast a uh, friend of the show from the AV Club and also a writer in his own right, Mr. Zach Hanlon. Zach, welcome back. Oh, thank you for having me. 
And I'm particularly excited excited to have you back on because we're talking Rick and Morty season three, which I've really enjoyed. Um, and I think for a lot of TV fans, maybe it's gotten a little lost on Sundays with the various other prestige shows happening on Sundays. But it, you know, it's one that I don't see a lot of conversation around. But I've enjoyed your reviews over at the AV Club every week. And I'm glad that I get to dive in with it with someone here at the end of the season. How, how have you been feeling about season three of Rick and Morty? Uh, I liked most of it. Um, I had, I mean, I, I tried to get into this in, the, in some of my reviews. I feel like um, they made some really strong, unexpected choices at the start of the season. And I think those led to some really interesting episodes. But I also think they sort of put themselves in a corner that they basically had to get out of at the end of the season, which um, I found a little bit. I don't think it quite worked as smoothly as it could have. It's kind of a, I feel like Dan Harmon as a writer, just as having watched Community, is, is very good with like the individual episodes, but I don't think he's he's particularly good at building multiple episode arcs. So it was sort of like a, they tried something here, which had some really interesting ideas in it, but I also felt like it wasn't, I don't know, it's, it's really hard to say where I'm going to rank this season uh, compared to the previous two. Um, it's definitely more ambitious than say season one was, um, but it, it also just, I felt a little, it felt a little hollow by the end. Interesting. For me, it was a really satisfying season. Um, I see what you're saying about the, the arc overall. And it was interesting for me when I read your review of the finale, because I hadn't, it hadn't occurred to me the inevitability of Jerry coming back into the fold. Uh, Cause I was really disappointed when that was how the season ended. It was like, Oh, but they're doing all this really interesting stuff with the kids reacting to the separation and, you know, divorce, the potential divorce and everything. And um, so I, while I don't disagree that this does check Rick, as you talked about, like the idea of Jerry winning is an important thing. So Rick doesn't always win. Um, I got to say, I'm going to be disappointed next season to go back to as they have been yeah. say, a streamlined season one. Yeah. Yeah. That's like kind of the problem. With what they try to do is they showed us like a glimpse of this new sort of world where they were trying to really kind of dig into these new character realities. And a lot of times they worked, but it also meant this situation where, as the season went on, it became harder and harder to tell stories about these characters because, well, especially about Rick, because it just became any situation he put himself in, there were no stakes in terms of him as a person because he just could pretty much think his way out of anything. So you got into a position where you didn't really have, it, it, it kept spinning outward further that it felt like, yeah, I'm not, I don't even know if the Jerry thing will work. I'm actually kind of, I'm looking forward to the next season, but I'm also, I am, I'm kind of in the same boat as you is that it feels like, are they just going to try and go back to season one that, I mean, I think that that was a, obviously a self-conscious self-commentary joke, but it's also sort of like, how does this work now? Um, are we just going to have to go through more? Cause I remember in season one, one of the things that I thought was least successful about the show was the very, fairly repetitive um, Beth and Jerry plots. Mm -hmm. Some of them worked really well, but a lot of the times it was just, it just seemed like, okay, we're going to cut away from the cool stuff with Rick and Morty and occasionally summer and just watch Jerry and Beth do the same squabbling and you're like, okay, they should probably not be together or whatever. Um, and it, it wasn't terrible, but, it, and I, and I hope that because of the way the show is built now and they've it brought, everybody is involved with Rick's adventures that they'll be able to do some interesting stuff. But yeah, it does feel like it's hard not to feel like it's this step back from some sort of abyss. The thing that is really uh, going to be interesting for me, even if they do reestablish a similar kind of, uh, pattern which is something that they talked about the creator uh, creatives talked about at uh, comic-con 
a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually wasn't able to be in the panel, but my sister, who never watches the show, was telling me all about it. Apparently, <laughs> they're going to be, you know, she's she's going to be checking out the show now, or, you know, has been. Um, but they, the, they talked about going back to more of a season one dynamic. But for me, the trouble I had, I had in season one was just how abusive the Rick and Morty dynamic was. Yeah, but Morty is such a in such a different place at this point that that is not a concern for me anymore because he will stand up he will stand up for himself much much more. So if they can figure out a, a something different to do with Beth um, and Jerry, but specifically with Beth, then I think that will that could, there's there's a lot of potential there. But the trouble is what like you know like. The show's done everything, kind of. Yeah, what yeah, do you do it, with her that's different? Well, it's the problem too. It's sort of like everything. I mean, I, I I was really looking forward to. I actually didn't get a chance to review it because um, I was doing Star Trek. But uh, the the ninth episode of the season, the, the 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 Rick and Beth one, where he like they go to the you know the fantasy world he created for her, and we realize that Beth has also got a lot of serious problems. Um, I was looking forward to that because you know it felt like Beth had like. Some of the some of the most interesting stuff in this season. Why am I making hand gestures while I talk? Um, <laughs> some of the most it's not just me because I definitely am as well. <laughs> yeah, it's like like going on video or something. Hey, I'm doing the ninja thing. Um, ninja <laughs> thing. God, no. But uh, like in like a one of my favorite episodes of the season was the pickle Rick episode, and Beth was a big part of that, and it was getting into how she is in her own way as dysfunctional as her father was, and she's just as driven and just as contemptuous of people who, um, while, while not understanding the boring work of just staying sort of balanced and sane. Um, and I was looking forward to that. And then it, it just sort of, um, I've heard, I've heard criticism, different criticisms. Um, my girlfriend, Caroline, who watches the show, she did not like it at all. She thought it, it dragged out a bit. Um, some other people I know online, um, a couple of people like I've, I've read criticisms and I, the, when I, I tried to I watched it again and it was sort of like the part that really didn't work for me was that Rick literally just gave a speech at the end about how tough it is to be smart and it, it felt like it bought too much into he, it, it, he should not be the I, I don't think the show works if Rick is the dominant correct mind like if Rick is the, if, if Rick, Rick is has right the, yeah yeah if, if Rick's perspective is everything like he's it's a fine balance the first the first couple of seasons walked where Rick is really really smart and he's often correct and like he has this sort of like he's almost has this meta awareness that he's on a show but they also managed to show situations where he was kind of he was vulnerable or he did care about his family and you'd be sort of shocked or unexpected and like there was a lot of great sort of dramatic tension between watching Rick be this borderline nihilistic asshole and then occasionally be like, no, no, he does actually have this, he is, there is a core of humanity there in spite of all this, in spite of his genius, his crazy genius and can do everything. And it, it was really interesting to kind of get at that sort of, I don't know, that, that dialectic, like just, uh, that, that happens if you are someone who does think a lot about things and you can, it's very easy to get to a point where you get just sort of locked in your own head that, that you kind of dismiss the sort of mundane, day-to-day living things like you know being in a family or being uh having a partner or having friends or doing these really normal everyday things you start think oh none of it's meaningless because the world is a spinning chaos void and we're all floating in the nothing and and i thought that the show did a really good job of of sort of balancing that between those two things and the the when the season worked for me this seat this year it was sort of like really diving into that and um and it felt like it felt like it points the problem was it got to a point where it was too much too easy on like yeah it was it was literally just rick just flat out saying with no 
no, there was no subversion of that. There was no wait. This this doesn't really work. And and you could I guess you could argue, and I'd be curious if your thoughts. Like the the finale could be seen as a contradiction of what he said. Um, but at the time, it just sort of felt this very sort of inelegant and almost like just I don't know. It didn't really work for me. It just felt way too. I don't want to say on the nose, but it felt way too much like we're just going, it almost felt like we were handing the, the, the show's worst fans an excuse to like think of themselves superior again. It was yeah. frustrating. Well, I, I enjoy Beth a lot and what she brings to the dynamics, what she brings to the show. And so I was excited for the Beth episode. I liked much of that episode. I thought it was really fun. And uh, again, the just the, the concept of Fruity Land and the... <laughs> The oh no oh the water's breathable oh who would horrible monster thought of that <laughs> um you know like there's a lot of really really great stuff there I agree that the for me it's always really interesting when you watch a show the balance between the the character is right and like the, the or the show is the show thinks the character is right the character th- thinks they're right versus the show is condoning what they're saying or agreeing with what they're saying and a show like Rick and Morty that's as, as you were saying, I absolutely agree. Rick can't just be right or else it is, it just succumbs to nihilism and that's the end of the show. Like yeah. you can do that in the finale, but not really before then. Um, and I also, this, this monologue about the challenges of being smart um, or being a genius or being, you know, so much above all these other people I don't know that the this is gonna sound so horrible. I don't know that the show's earned that for Beth. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean that's. I was actually gonna ask you um, because you, you uh, Beth. I mean Beth's a great character. Sarah Chuck is, is does great work on the show. I was gonna ask you because one of the criticisms I heard that hadn't really occurred to me is that the sh- that episode had to retcon Beth's character to an extent. And I was wondering how that worked for you. Yeah, I don't think it does. I mean, in the it doesn't bother me in the episode because I don't think of Rick and Morty as a particularly uh, serialized show. Yeah. I, I really approach it very uh, standalone, and I appreciate that there should be more procedural TV. Uh, I would be very happy if there was more, you know, that kind of storytelling out there. Um, so, so like. Again, going back and rewriting her history, oh, she was very violent and all these other things. Like, we still don't uh, – correct me if I'm wrong. Do we know anything about her mom? No, I think they've been very look close to the vest, and it might not be something that we don't actually ever – Yeah. I mean, I kind of hope – I kind of hope – it kind of feels like it's such a big omission that, that we really should have some better sense of her. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I know I know Harmond um, – oh, God, is it Justin Roiland? Yes. I'm, okay. Uh, I think they've both gone on record on saying that they they don't want to do a situation where it's like, oh, this is why Rick is the way he is, is because of his uh, his of his wife, his ex wife, or whatever. Something happened there and that made him this way. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they're very much like we don't want to have a root cause; we just want to have him being the way he is. Um, but no, we haven't really. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. Well, just think about that. Uh, not so much in relation to to Rick, but in relation to Beth and why Beth mm-hmm. is the way that she is. That was a very convenient tweak. It was interesting and, and fun because we haven't gotten much about her growing up, other than you know the challenges of having Rick as a father. Um, I think it wasn't didn't raise too big of an eyebrow for me. But if they want, like, if if the show wants me to take it as a serialized drama you know and or serialized mm-hmm. coming in that way then that's when i would start having issues with it for me like trying to make 
yeah, I appreciate Beth and Rick's dynamic, and I've really enjoyed, you know, while I don't care about the specifics of serialization, I would compare someone like Louie, where the themes are what matter, and, like, the development of the character over time is what matters, but the specifics of how many siblings does Louie have doesn't matter. Um, for me, that's sort of how I, I approach that dynamic, so I've appreciated watching it grow over time, but having, like, taking the taking Rick from being a very singular character to to him saying that Beth you're just like me and we're both way too smart and for our own good and you know this leads to all these other issues and and everything uh, that was less successful for me I, I think it is more interesting when Rick is a force of nature and just mm -hmm. an asshole <laughs> traveling <laughs> around the multiverse uh and, and so because it just it it is that Doctor Who kind of character of the person outside of everything reacting to and times causing these massive shifts in the different multiverses and in the different worlds um then immediately being called to task by the normies that they're surrounded by i think that's a more interesting dynamic personally but i i did really enjoy the <laughs> the tie over to the last episode of the season where, where you know, she realizes uh, that maybe she's a clone and she'll never know if she's not a clone and, and, and all of that. I think the way that they handled that was terrific. And uh, if they have a satisfying solution in season four, or at least not solution that nothing's so closed off, but if they have a next chapter for, for Beth that takes us somewhere new for that character, then I'll be excited about it. If not, I just, just the idea, they, they can always have her come back and be, it was a clone after all and ignore all that. I don't think they'd do that, but it's nice to know they have that option, I guess, if they want it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I hope, I hope we never, I hope they never actually definitively answer one way or the other. I think it's much more, the ambiguity is much more interesting and, and much, and much more thematically appropriate. appropriate. Yeah. yeah. Cause it feels like the whole kind of point they were trying to make is that once you get up into Rick's headspace, it is impossible to have any sort of centered truth. There's no, the, the more you, and like that, it, that works for Rick because he's essentially a character who is driven by narcissism. So he's the center of his own universe, where, but with someone who doesn't quite have that level of ego or something, it just, you need someone, you need something like Jerry to keep you grounded on earth. I thought that was an interesting concept. I just, I just, I felt like, like you, like you said, I actually, I do think the show works a bit better. I like, like, um, I like the glimpses. Like I, one of the things I, I really loved in the first couple of seasons is every so often it would introduce this serialized element. Like one of my one of the turning point moments for me was in the first season was in Rixty Minutes, where the you, they they have a callback to the the whole we just destroyed the whole world and we just moved on to another one and and it's this you didn't ex, you didn't expect him to suddenly reference that and tell Morty to tell his sister that you're not actually my actual sister. You're actual like it's just everything's complicated and all that stuff. And there was a lot. Of, there was a lot of emotional power in moments like that in calling back. But it's also something that it's that can be difficult to do. Uh, it, it, it's something that can be difficult to do over time consistently. And I feel like the show has these ambitions that'll sometimes they'll they'll try for for bigger. They'll they'll set up potentially bigger arcs, but they just don't quite like. That's just not what they're really interested in. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, I guess we should talk about like what were your what were your favorite favorite parts of of this season? Oh man, I loved Tales from the Citadel, mm. and I would be if 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 Rick and Morty decided it wanted to basically completely shift to the Adventure Time model, 
I would be a very happy Kate, where, like, you have your central figures, but you could also just spend an episode with completely off-the-wall side character, you know, or in this case, <laughs> the Citadel and all the Ricks and all the Mortys, and this commentary on serialization versus procedural, and also then on the gritty uh, underworld and the way that's always represented, and, like, it, it was just the right balance of um, ridiculous and meta and sincere for me. Uh, mm-hmm. It really threaded the needle. And so I had a lot of fun with that one. And just the stuff that they were, like I'd already said, the stuff that they were doing um, at the beginning of the season with, uh, especially in, um, uh, was it Rick Mancing the Stone, where we're watching Summer deal with, the parents and and and, and mm. Morty also deal with the parents splitting up. Uh, so those are probably my favorites. And then Jerry on an adventure is always gonna gonna be fun. So those are probably my my top three. I didn't really care about Pickle Rick. I was you know, and everybody mm. really dug it. I was I was all there for the therapy scenes, but I don't care about Rick as a pickle like killing rats. Like that that's <laughs> I'm like okay, good animation. I see what you're doing here. You know, there's some fun when he thinks he's gonna bake to death on the driveway but like <laughs> i'm like okay it's fine uh, what about you what were your obviously you said that P- pickle brick was a highlight for you what what about the rest of the season um well i really liked i liked the 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 mind motors mind blowers a lot i thought that and i like the tales from the citadel one it's it sort of uh, it's interesting that you touch on the idea of them doing like an adventure time style um series or like a just you know expanding outward a bit because it's weird when you think about it. We're three seasons in, and only the core characters have been really developed. Mm-hmm. Like by this point, I don't know if The Simpsons had started to stretch outward into Springfield. Probably not that much. But it, it it's it just, like this. The thing about the Citadel stories, it was you know it was a bunch of different characters, but it was still Rick and Morty the whole time. Like it was just literally one voice actor the whole the whole episode, and it was only those two character variations of those two characters and while the variations there are a ton of variations so they feel like distinct characters it also sort of feels like the show hasn't really bothered there's no sense of anybody beyond the family who really matters mm-hmm. um i think mean, keith david is the president because it's keith david but um <laughs> like, like there aren't really like recurring other characters who really i don't know it, it's it's and that fits that fits with what you were talking about in terms of procedural or more episodic and non-serialized because it's just that it, we'll see people for like one-offs, but it's also interesting in that it, it, I wonder if it's something it, I would I would like them to expand out a little bit because it kind of creates this feeling of like this family and more particularly a certain kind of person in this family is the only kind of person that really matters because everyone else is kind of an idiot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels like it kind of again I not to I don't blame the show for its toxic fandom because you don't really blame any show unless it's actively horrible and this is a great show. Um, but there is something kind of just kind of interesting about the way it sort of it shows values for certain kinds of characters. Like, like there's no it it, it shows like that almost like Rick. One of the things this season lamed a little bit too much for me is the idea of Rick being sort of his his approach to life being sort of like the part that we can. All right, I'm wandering off into the weeds here. Um, but it would be nice. It would be nice if we had more of a balance because it, even even with Jerry like coming out on top at the end um it's still the show still has a certain level of contempt for him um and it's you know it's he's he's the main the previous episode we had him uh going trying to find a rebound woman and like then trying to use his kids as a cover for when he broke up with her 
Um, so he's not he's not an admirable character, and there's no and I get that the show is not really going to introduce a bunch of admirable characters, but it it does. I'm not. I wonder if it's a kind of show that can really support that like a wider st- array of stories if it if it has sort of if it like we don't really feel like anybody develops outside the family i'm curious what your answer would be for this who do you think is the more the most admirable character on the show or who do you think the show is because i think i would say beth maybe maybe summer but it's definitely not rick it's definitely not morty it's definitely not jerry and they've like especially this season they've steered hard into no morty also has a high potential for terribleness too yeah, but I mean, so does Summer. I mean, yeah. Summer. So would you like, say Beth? Summer, I I don't even I don't even know Beth. Like Beth is just is, Beth is. They're all try. They try hard. Like um, the kids actually seem to come out a little bit better this season. I mean, Morty has a potential for terribleness, but also when Morty went through the detoxifying thing and like when they both got rid of all the parts of themselves they hated, Morty he turned into like a you know a, a, a an asshole stockbroker, but he also wasn't like a complete like the part of him that was left behind wasn't a complete monster. I don't know. I feel like. Yeah, that also got lost in the weeds. Um, no, I, I, I don't know if the show has anything you would call an admirable character. Um, I, I do think that I, that it's basically part of the season. I think for a while, Beth, at the start of the show, Beth was the most competent one. Beth seemed like the sanest, most rational, most like just this is a grown up. And then over the course of the show, they've slowly eroded that away. And that's I mean, that makes sense because that's that makes her a more interesting character. But um, at, at this point, I feel like they've gone past the point. Sort of like with like uh, like uh, just to go back to the Simpsons, like how Lisa is very clearly like Lisa is sort of the the most admirable character on the Simpsons. Um, Lisa and then Marge mm-hmm. probably, which you know betrays a certain reverse sexism or sexism. But anyways, um, uh, but like they the, even now I haven't watched the Simpsons in years, but even like during the height of its run, they would have stories about Marge or Lisa that would sort of show that they were more complicated people that they had you know insecurities and selfishness and so but they still ultimately came out as fundamentally decent people in a way that like say homer is sort of not going to be in that same category and i feel like with beth at this point um and to maybe a lesser extent summer but i feel like beth especially in that ninth episode uh, it it, there's a lot of compartmentalization there's a lot of her denying her past and her like refusing to really deal with her kids on certain levels that I feel like they've, they've gotten to a point where it's almost hard to just see her as anything but deeply flawed. Um, so I don't know. I mean, there were moments when all of them sort of, maybe that maybe the arc of the show is something where it kind of pushes to a place where they just sort of find a way to all kind of live together. Maybe that's the ultimate, like, happy ending for Rick and Morty. I don't know. I don't know. I do appreciate that they steered away from, the end of last season, which was so I thought very affecting and satisfying in a, but in a more traditional way of, of Rick sacrificing himself and saving like all that, like very traditional heroes uh, ending. Um, So I appreciated that they did not (laughs) continue that in, in this season. Cause I think that was, they were walking, edging up to a line there that wouldn't work for the show of like redeeming him. But yeah, that it does make it challenging to then go to to widen the world if you've ultimately decided that nobody else matters and really just a couple of these people matter and the others are just kind of peripheral to them. You know what I mean? I, I yeah. like the the flexibility that they have here now in the third season to be 
you know, like a straight up Summer and Rick story or a straight up Beth story mm-hmm. is, yeah. is given them a lot more and and a lot more creativity and flexibility, I would say. And um, that's something I certainly appreciate because they could not have sustained. I don't think they could have sustained um, the approach from season one for three years, which is why they didn't try to. I do also want to very specifically because we've mentioned the the oh so lovely um, fans, some of the fans. Of, of Rick and Morty can be re- very toxic. Um, I do want to specifically give some love to the creators for actively um, balancing out the gender breakdown of their writer's room for this season. I feel like that's been reflected in the writing because I didn't know that they had done that <laughs> for the first half of this season. And mm-hmm. I was very happy with the writing for, for Beth and Summer. But just for all the characters, I thought the writing had gotten better this season yeah. in the dynamics. And then I found out halfway through the season that, oh, they made sure they had a 50-50 gender split in in the uh, writer's room this season. Like, oh, okay, well, that makes That's a lot great. of sense. Yeah. A, a lot of shows aren't making the, those adjustments three seasons in. So it's something I've yeah. certainly noticed in the writing and appreciated. Um, I do think it's interesting that uh, no, I mean that's 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 tremendous, and I, I do think it showed in the the way that that Summer and Beth. I mean, Summer was already coming into her own. I think by the end of season one, and certainly over the course of season two, uh, that Beth got a, a substantially more to do this season two, and it really worked well. Um, it's interesting that you say that you you were glad that they steered away from the end of season two because yeah, the first episode of this season is literally just wiping the board clean, mm-hmm. uh, apart from like the divorce with Jerry which gave us the whole arc of season three, they're basically just saying, nope, none of this mattered. And it was all part of a plan and he didn't really sacrifice anything. He was basically just setting it up so he could destroy all his enemies. Um, uh, like on the one hand, I agree that it, it, I don't know if the show really needs to be like a traditional sci-fi opera thing where it's, you know, here are the villains, here are the good guys. On the other hand, I do think it put it that kind of as part of the corner that they write themselves into, because if Rick is capable of doing that in any situation, it's hard to keep telling stories about the character like it's hard to keep coming up with new stories when you can't actually have any sort of stakes or conflict there's only so many times you could have rick turn out to be the bad guy there's only so many times you could have rick do something stupid and put himself in danger before it starts to get a little stale and i feel like they, they kind of got into a problem um after that like it was such a great it was like a very solid opening and they had a lot of great ideas but it also sort of felt like by the end of the season that rick was just too too much like he was like i, I felt like he was just too to the point where it was just it, it any situation he get into, he would immediately solve it and be fine. And and that makes it hard to I don't know, the kind of show this is, I feel like I'm not sure that this this could like you need to have some sort of tension or something. And I feel like they got that with the sort of family dynamics, but it got so toxic. Like that I liked Morty's mind blowers a lot, but it also is the kind of show where by the end they've literally said they've done everything multiple times. And, and it, like, that was the joke and the fact that, that like, that he had planned ahead for in case this happened. And that's, it, it was a good joke. But it also, it, it meant the characters need to be surprised occasionally. Or there needs to be a feeling of, like, that these people, that, that Rick isn't, is, isn't, like, omnipotent or something. Or he isn't so, like, I don't know. It feels, ah, it's, even Doctor Who has to screw up. Even the Doctor has to screw up sometimes or yeah. something. I don't know. Yeah. And it, and it because, oh, sorry. No, it's okay. It's just interesting because I just don't believe rick <laughs> as much as it sounds like you do or the show so when, when the premiere goes ah it was all planned the whole time like you're just saying that you figured yeah, that out I, along yeah. the way and like you got yourself out of it and you're like it was a plan all along like that that's maybe that that very easily could be just my justification or reading into it or me wanting to believe 
that he does care about his family and, and it would be self-sacrificing if he had to. Um, but that's that's sort of my take on it. Then again, I'm also the person who feels strongly that the 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 creators uh, the creatives over at Hannibal don't know uh, their lead characters as well as I do. So yeah. like you know yeah I, uh, yeah I, I I have the same I mean I don't know if you're referring to the third season but I just remember just Hannibal the third. finale yeah. I have very strong oh yeah about no it. I was I was very upset I was very I was like yeah. y'all have been no. watching a different show than I have for three years if you think that yeah. this main character is like but but you know obviously I have enough of an ego that I'm willing to just say the show is wrong or lying yeah but well uh, I mean in that case yeah. in that case too it's also based on you have you have other material to back you up because it's based on something else. I mean, I know, I, I think I, I hope I, I, my interpretation, I, yeah, no, I hope you're right. I, I honestly hope that the writers try figure some stuff. Yeah. I, I, I feel like that's just something that they need to, they need to pull back. I feel like this, this season came very close to an edge of, of, and I'm trying to think if there are other shows that have kind of gone over this before and been in this. It's just, it felt like they, they got some really great stories out of it, but it became close to a point where you can't have everything be self-aware. Mm-hmm. You can't have, you can't have every situation be like, oh, we've done this a thousand times before. Oh, this is so tired. Like, like that's a, that's a good joke in some ways because it's sort of like underlying the fact that to the audience with all this is shocking and horrifying and astonishing, but to them, they're like, yeah, this is a Tuesday. Um, but eventually it's like, if they're bored all the time, it's we're going to be bored too. Mm-hmm. So they, I, th- I think they, and I think that the, him caring about the family is important. Like you need to, and they did sort of, they didn't completely lose that, but we need to have, if they can get back to that balance between, and I, I think that that's the direction they're going with bringing Jerry back the way they did. And I'm sure that was always part of the plan. Um, I feel like if they can get back to the balance of having Rick be this super genius um, who can who doesn't seem to give a shit about anything, but every so often you'd be like, wait, he he does care about the, his family, even though they're duplicates or whatever. He he does actually care about them. Um, if they can find a way to keep that balance of like never slipping into complete sentimentality, but never going over into complete nihilism, that's the show that I love. Yeah. Well, I absolutely agree. I think that's a good place to end our conversation. Um, I look forward to what season four has to bring us. Um, I don't care that Mr. Poopy Pants wasn't in this season, no matter <laughs> Poopy Butthole, whatever his name is. I don't care about that character, but I know there will be some fans who are very excited by his post-credits appearance in the finale and eagerly anticipating a season four return. Um, Zach, thank you so much. Uh, for coming back on the podcast. Uh, where can our listeners find you and your work online? I'm currently still doing reviews at the AV Club. Right now I'm reviewing the, the, the first season of Star Trek Discovery as it becomes available, and I will be reviewing The Walking Dead when it comes back in a week or so. And hey, next year I'm having a book that's collecting all my and Todd Vandeworth's X-Files reviews into one big, big book. So that's something to look forward to like a year from now. Absolutely. Very exciting. Well, uh, thank you again so much for coming on, Zach. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. 